0: Hello listeners, I'm Bridget and I'm Caroline. You are listening to episode number seven of Hearth Home and Homicide, a family production about family murders. My daughter Caroline and I narrate each story and son Andy is our producer. As Caroline and I talk about each family murder, We keep sensitivity for victims and their families in top of mind. Our podcasts do include violence and trauma. Listener discretion is advised. So, hey, Caroline. Hey. How you doing? Doing
1: pretty good. Having a good time. How are you? Yeah,
0: me too. It's summer um, gardening season really, they shouldn't call it gardening. They should call it weeding and weeding and watering and watering. That's what it is. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's wee, 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 be Anyway. Wee, wee, we wah, wah, wah. Wee, 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 wah, wah, wah. <laughs> wee, 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 blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. A new language that we probably need to be arrested. But anyway, <laughs> today's episode we have entitled, Ensure Them, Kill Them, And to our really diehard fans, you remember when we first got started, we, um, put out two episodes just to sort of test the waters and they really weren't very good audio quality. So we decided to redo those two. And, um, the first one that we're redoing is called ensure them, kill them. And Caroline, It's a haunting thought, uh, really, that there are people who seek family life, not for love, meaning comfort and sanctuary, but to insure them, kill them, collect life insurance proceeds, and hunt a new family to repeat the process. And they do it for money, and they do it because it is what they do. Caroline, it's who they are. And we're going to be uh, talking about a creep like this today. So learning and researching about someone named Randy Roth haunts me because he is that kind of person. And, you know, you you spend most of your life not wanting to believe in the boogeyman, but he is the boogeyman. He's the type that hunts, insures, kills, and believes... That, that is what family means. And his murders took place in our backyard, the quaint little family-oriented cities and towns that surround Seattle, Washington. And in fact, you just pointed out to me earlier that there is a fire going on in some of the areas where he, like in uh, Skamania County, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. So uh, we're thinking about Skamania County as we record. So he even went to Meadowdale High School, Caroline, and that's where your brother Ben went, my oldest son. That, that just creeps me out so damn bad. That's just chilling to me. So let's talk about this heartless killer who, and, and we can feel a little better knowing that he was finally locked up for annihilating one and probably two families. Um, and, you know, I've pointed out before, and I know that this is a bending the meaning of words, but to me, every family killer is somewhat of a family annihilator, no matter who they kill, because it destroys so many people in that family.
1: Agreed. We talked about that a little bit before. This one, for me, has a lot of trigger points because of the level of collateral damage and loss, in addition to the direct damage and loss this person
0: perpetrated. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get into it. and You're absolutely right. So we're taking us back now to Friday, November 27th, 1981, in Skamania County, that's south of Seattle. There's a little paradise rock called Beacon Rock inside Beacon Rock Park, and you can see the Columbia River Gorge like nowhere else from the top of Beacon Rock, and it really is a climber's dream. Then there's Randy Roth on this November 27th, 1981, running up and down the trail that day, screaming frenetically at random hikers, have you seen my wife? Have you seen my wife? Janice, Janice. When county sheriffs arrived, Randy tells them that he and his wife were hiking on Beacon Rock, and Janice was right behind him when she suddenly fell. We are talking about a 300 foot drop, Caroline. Oof. Eventually, searchers did find Janice, and of course, she was dead. Randy was inconsolable, his wife was dead. It was ruled an accident, and Randy had her body cremated one day later. So, one day, one day, one day. You know, let's talk about Randy Roth, even though I don't really like Randy Roth. But anyway, he's a nice enough looking man. In my mind, he strikes a resemblance to Ted Bundy. He's got thick black hair, a thick black mustache, jet black hair, you know, just the, just, he's a good looking guy. <laughs> you know, just like Ted Bundy. And so they're connected in my mind. But as we know, killer looks can be just that. When Randy Roth's former girlfriend, Terry McGuire, heard that Randy's wife, Janice, had fallen to her death off Beacon Rock, she said her blood went cold, Caroline. So she got a chill. Terry had met Randy when she was about 15, Randy showed up to her house in his GTO, you know, a sports car, or a racing car, really. Sure of himself, he was a bit of a daredevil. She found Randy so romantic. You know, she was 15 years old, so of course she did. Others were explaining to her that he was a school bully, and they told her, if you displease Randy, you are probably going to mysteriously have a shattered car mirror or flat tires. So I guess he really liked to vandalize the, the cars of his enemies. Yeah, that's a pretty
1: true bully too. It's like that. It's an intimidate. I mean, you're forcing other people to behave the way you want them to behave. And you're going to intimidate them into that. That's, I mean, that's textbook.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Terry liked Randy. And so I don't blame her. She was being told not to run. Excuse me, she was being told to run, not walk, away from this vindictive and dangerous guy. After high school in 1973, Randy joined the Marines. He wanted action. He was deployed overseas. And he wrote to Terry that he was doing secret things, Caroline. He was killing people. It was all very top secret spy kind of stuff. Uh Uh-huh. Well, it was all a lie. He was actually a file clerk. I mean, the war was at an end. Actually, he was so bored with his actual job that Randy decided to get out via having his mother file a hardship discharge. What does this okay? Does this really? surprise you that he's using his mother? Well, all of this is weird. Like people,
1: okay. People in the military who like do secret things, they never once say to anyone that they do secret things. They like literally don't talk about it. They just don't talk about it. And they would say, I'm a file clerk more than anything else. And so but they definitely are not involving their mother in their adulting decisions. So like your mom wrote you a note. You're in the Marines, sir. Like
0: moms don't write notes here. I don't know. It strikes me as absolutely. Weird. But he did it. So he's he he sees women as tools. I'm going to, I'm going to put that on my list. In December that year, Randy asked Terry to marry him and she said, yes, but Randy was restless and couldn't keep a job. And then Terry caught him with other women and she left him and went back to living with her parents. And Caroline, when she broke up with Randy and moved in with her parents, her parents' house was broken into, robbed, wrecked, and Terry told the cops, hey, it's Randy, and gave the the cops a ton of evidence. He was charged and convicted of felony burglary and spent two years in jail. Terry knew she had narrowly escaped Randy's vengeance and the capability he had of just inflicting pain. And so now we know why in November, 1981. Terry got the heebie-jeebies, and she shuddered to think that it could have been her to fall to her death 300 feet from Beacon Rock. So suffice it to say, she didn't really believe Janice had, air quotes, fallen to her death on her own.
1: I I cannot imagine. First of all, good for Terry for calling the police for pushing that, because... At that time, I I don't know that a lot of women would have really done that. That's a lot. That's a lot. You take a risk doing that as the victim, right? As the woman. Um, Absolutely. the, the, The shock, the sort of surreal kind of fear that must have come through her as she's, you know, hearing this news. And you're right. And knowing exactly what that that woman was not, that woman didn't fall. Not with Randy, you know, like I know right. Randy, she did something he didn't like and he pushed her like, oh, she had to just be so scared.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, she's scared and, y- you know, just to narrowly miss death uh, and knowing that you just narrowly missed death, uh, narrowly missed death. Um Anyway. After Terry broke off her engagement to Randy, followed by Randy's prison stint for damaging Terry's parents' home and car, he married the woman he had been sleeping with while engaged to Terry. Okay, I always ask this question. Okay, you're dating somebody who's cheating on his wife or cheating on his fiance. What do you think he's going to do to you? But anyway, her name was Donna Sanchez. She gave birth to a son, Greg, in 1978. And then nobody knows why, but after Greg was born, Randy filed for divorce and custody of his son, Greg. And the mother, Donna, was awarded visitation only. And this is just such a weird mystery. Why divorce and why custody of Greg? In other words, why would. Randy do that. And there's no information about this that I could find. All I can say is that Donna was lucky to get out alive by way of divorce. So there's a story there. And I just constantly look for more information and there is none. So this is a, this is a mystery and another good escape from death, I think. Yeah. But poor Greg, I don't want to forget that Greg is mired you know,
1: unwillingly without choice in this sort of evil person's presence. And I just, I've, I think about him a lot, a lot of trauma for poor
0: Greg. Yes. Yes. 1978. So he'd be in his, uh, he'd be 45 right now. Um, and I have read some articles about him that he's doing fine, but he, he, he wants to remain in obscurity obviously, as our story continues, you'll see why. So Randy needed a wife, no doubt about that. He was on the prowl. His life history thus far had him painted as a charmer, a bully, a controller, whose favorite type of woman was a vulnerable one. He found such a woman and he married a sweet single mom named Janice, who would die on Beacon Rock. Now, Janice came from poverty in Texas, But she had built a good life for herself and her daughter, Jelena. And uh, after divorcing her serviceman husband, she located to Washington and met Randy at a Parents Without Partners social meet on Halloween 1980. And obviously, she was full of hope for her and her daughter. I mean, Randy was a charmer. He was at a Parents Without Partners meeting. I mean, that means he cares about, you know, his role as a dad. They got married, and nine months later, nine months, Caroline, they got married, and nine months later, Janice would be dead. Oh, my God! And Jelena would have no mom, and only Randy Roth for a caregiver. Holy crap. What What a horrible idea. Before she died, Janice had made it clear to her friends and her mom that Randy was a cruel and controlling man, and she wanted out. Randy had taken a $100,000 life insurance policy out on her life. That's $300,000 today. And after that, he went from charmer to mentally cruel prison guard over her. So, you know, if you want to know Randy Ross, I say he looks like uh, Ted Bundy, but this is who he really is. I love you. I insure you. I hate you. I kill you thy name is Randy Roth. That's who he really is. The way the killing happened was this. Around Thanksgiving, Randy told Janice he wanted to take his family to see his father who lived in Washouga, just a few miles from Beacon Rock Park. Janice was torn. She still sort of wanted to make her marriage work. So, you know, she, she agreed to the trip that Randy said might help them save their marriage. At the same, you know, you want to save your marriage after nine months of marriage. But anyway, at the same time, she grew very suspicious of Randy. Janice even went so far as to put cash in a manila envelope, Caroline. She secretly told her daughter, Jelena, to take the cash for herself and hide it. Now, Jelena was eight years old, eight years old.
1: This is where my heart just really starts to break. This is where the trigger warnings are definitely up for me because it just gets yeah. very traumatic yeah. and sad what these Absolutely. kids had to go through.
0: You're giving your 8-year-old daughter an envelope full of money and you're giving it to her clandestinely and telling her to hide it. She said basically hide this money is if if anything were to happen to me, if I were to get ill or die, take the money and run. Well, oh, my God. I mean, so she knew. She, she knew. knew. She knew. Caroline. I just cannot fathom. That's it. it. I can't fathom it. After Janice was dead from a quote unquote fall, I guess you could say it was a fall. It was a push, uh, in my opinion, off Beacon Rock during the very fake reconciliation trip. Randy caught Jelena with the cash and took it from her. Thankfully, Jelena's biological father stepped in and took Jelena away. Remember that Janice had been married to a serviceman and they got divorced. And it was an amicable divorce. Thankfully, Jelena's biological father stepped in and took Jelena away from Randy. And the bio dad was awarded full custody. Thank God, because I
1: can't imagine how scared... Jelena would have been because, first of all, that's an interaction that no eight year old is going to be familiar with, like at all. I'm not even familiar with it. I'm 42. So it's your mother's telling you, like you said, clandestinely, if something's going to happen to me, here's the money. And if anything weird happens, or if I just disappear somehow, take the money and run. Whoa, that's heavy enough. But then when your mother actually does die, the fear that had to have washed over her. And then he finds the money, and he takes—I mean, just the fear. So thank goodness her dad was there and that he came in and saved her. Because I mean, who knows? I don't know if Jelena would have been able to have been insured by this man, but I'm sure if he could have, he would have. You know, I just—well, that
0: was something that came into my mind. I mean, that Randy Roth had claimed the life insurance money the day after Janice died, less than 24 hours after he had her cremated. So he once again. You know, this is his thing is he has his wives cremated if they, anyway, I'm frankly stunned that Randy didn't insure little Jelena and kill her too, as you say. Thank God for Jelena's father. You know, I'm right with you there. I'm sure the story would have been much worse if, uh, you know, worse than it already is if he had not come along. So now Randy Roth is free to live the life of a wealthy bachelor. Remember, he's collected, pretend like it's today, $300,000, until he would eventually hunt again for a whole new family. Authorities had to rule Janice's death an accident because their suspicions of Randy Roth were just not enough to make a murder conviction. You know, I will say, and this has come up for
1: us before, but I really... And I don't know anything about the sort of morgue and post-mortem work on anybody for any reason, but when when you've got a death, a cremation 24 hours later, I know there's a lot of religious things that can come into play here too, so maybe that's part of it, but that seems fishy to me every time. Like, Why are you in such a hurry to destroy the evidence, even if it's an evidence of nothing, Why are you so quick to burn it? Like, why are you so quick to turn this into ashes? I just feel like there's got to be a longer grace period there for all of us, for the public benefit, to know that should an autopsy be needed or wanted, it could be performed versus this 24 hours later, the, the body is burned. That just seems so weird to me. I don't know.
0: Well, I agree. And uh an investigation into a fall o- off of a beacon rock. Right. Um I'm not sure what the jurisdiction would be and maybe there were some jurisdictional issues I don't know, but he, you know, was running up and down the trails and so terribly mournful when it turned out his wife was killed uh, by the fall and you know the other thing is I hope I get this saying right but there is a saying in true crime that is like uh you know nothing for evidence is not evidence of nothing right
1: ooh I like it that is yeah. pretty
0: clever <laughs> yeah 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 um I think I heard that on body bags um a podcast that I sometimes listen to with Joseph Scott Morgan and I see him on uh different news about various crimes and, and, and I've heard others use it too, that the absence of, uh, evidence is not evidence of absence or nothing. Or evidence of no crime. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, it's been ruled. It's an accident. Uh, they had suspicions, but nothing was, you know, nothing was, pr- uh, there was no evidence. Sure enough, In December 1984, the insurance money was running out for Randy Roth. He spends money really fast. Uh, For somebody who's killing in order to get it, you'd think he would want to, you know, make it stretch, but no. He sensed that he would need to begin prowling again soon for his next victim. He had been fathering Greg, poor Greg, working as a mechanic and spending Janice's life insurance money. Caroline during this time when he was gearing up to go on the hunt again, Randy Roth lived just a couple of miles from my house where I'm recording right now at an address in Mount Lake Terrace. Okay. Yeah. That gives me the heebie-jeebies. Oh, yeah. Who else is living two miles from my house? That's instantly two what miles I think. Down? I don't know. I know. Yeah, that's I instantly know. what I think, too. I'm like, oh, my
1: gosh. What about everyone else?
0: <laughs> I everybody, yeah. Yeah. No, you don't know. You don't know. Let alone marriage, you don't know who you're living next door to. Anyway, it's a scary thought. He befriended a guy who was his neighbor next door. And uh, this neighbor guy doubted uh, Randy Roth's tall tales about his heroism in Vietnam and such. The neighbor's son was friends with Greg and determined that Greg was being mistreated. Greg was taken from Randy for a period of six months by Child Protective Services. Uh, I suspect that getting control of Greg back and getting a new wife became even more important to Randy at that time. Well, you know, and I'll say, I just,
1: I do wish we knew more about Greg's mother and the dynamics of that sort of how that all came about, because I feel for Greg the most in all of this. I just feel like he's the silent victim yes. every step of the way.
0: Yeah, he he is. Now, his mom had a really good friend. And again, I don't know, you know, why the mom is not in the picture, but she's not. And she's very elusive. And what happened is very elusive. But we'll talk about what happens to Greg. and um, But he suffered. There's absolutely no doubt about it in my mind. You know, Randy reminds me of this really excellent book that I just love. It's called The Man Eater of Kumaon, which was written by a man who killed and injured Bengal tigress who stalked and killed, stalked and killed 436 people in Nepal and Kumaon. In this book, the man eater's killer, uh, uh, Jim Corbett, became a legend after he stalked and killed her and many other man-eating tigers. And I, why am I talking about this book? Well, to me, Randy Roth is that hungry tigress in human form. In his book, Corbett describes his hunt for the man-eater and once killed, he determined that this tigress that had killed so many people and was injured and I, that this tigress had killed all these people— this tigress was actually injured and unable to hunt wild prey. People, people were easier to find, stalk, and kill. So in Randy Roth's case, I think he was too lazy or cruel or conniving or all of that to make a productive life for himself. Stalking and preying on good, unsuspecting women who wanted and longed for a family was easier.
1: I think that's 100% accurate that's a really good correlation there because and you're right he does it like it's like a thing like a cycle like he like taking out the trash you know i do that every every other friday or whatever it is you know i mean he it's very methodical like he just finds these women marries them yeah he's a machine isn't he and then murders them under the guise of reconciliation
0: (laughs) you know i don't know i know
1: creepy and sad
0: well, he's, he's going to stalk again, and his next stalking victim, uh, his third wife, was Donna Clift, another single mother with a small child named Brittany. After the honeymoon, Randy became cold. Jesus, guy has an on and off switch. He even started playing mean tricks on her and her three-year-old daughter, Brittany. See, they just kids sadistic tortures. I cannot stand it. Randy wanted to adopt Brittany, but Donna refused. Randy then took Donna on a rafting trip on the Skycomish River in an inflatable raft, and he attempted to steer through the rapids into sharp rocks. A terrified Donna immediately filed for divorce after that. She's lucky she got away with her life. I mean, back in my younger days, I draft I I rafted down the Skycomish River and it was pleasant. But there are definitely areas that were not to be dared. You had to stay away from those areas. I cannot imagine what I'd be doing and feeling if my raft leader started heading for the death trap area.
1: Well, and this is just another one of those things where, you know, good on you, Donna, for getting out of there. And it was just sheer luck that they didn't die. Well, and I'm sure he just wants to adopt Brittany so that he can insure her too. I mean, it's just scary this. Well, of course. This yeah. person, the way he treats all these human beings, is just scary to me.
0: Well, after this divorce, Caroline, Randy proposed to a divorced mother of three, but then broke off the engagement when he discovered that she had been treated for cancer and was uninsurable.
1: Oh, my gosh. So it's like blatant. This man has no self-awareness.
0: That's for sure. No. Or, I mean, you know, he, uh, Anyway. Then along came Cynthia. Randy Roth remained single until 1990 when he met Cynthia Lauchs Baumgartner at one of his son's little Little League game. So Greg. Cynthia was a wonderful human being and did not deserve what happened to her any more than his other victims. But anyway, born in 1957, she was raised in a deeply religious family. She married Tom Baumgartner at the age of 21, and their sons Tyson and Riley were born in 1979 and 1981. Everyone who knew this family loved this family, Caroline. They were just real, real people, a loving family life. These are her parents and her doing good things in the world. Tom worked as a parcel carrier for the U.S. Postal Service to provide for his family. This family is really held up as a source of light to so many people. It was sunshine and blue sky for them too. And then suddenly and tragically in 1985, Tom was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease and he died at the age of 29.
1: This is a really sad story on top of a sad story because I agree with you. This is just I mean, you don't even really have to get a lot of the details to just feel how much love, genuine organic love this family was, you know, they're just oh, a yeah. the family thing, you know?
0: Yes. Yes. You almost never hear about those really and truly happy families. Right. But most families with children and the parents yeah. are like that. I mean, they're just, they don't seek out the limelight or, right. well, you know, peak experiences every 20 seconds.
1: Right, and I think this era is good too because me and my brothers were all born between seventy eight, eighty one. I mean, that's that's kind of the second golden age of 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 American kiddom in my mind, anyway. I had great childhood, but but it's you know it's not all sunshine, rainbows, or whatever. You have breakdowns, fights, problems, blah blah blah. But but there's this organic love just flowing through. You all are doing stuff together, going on bike ride. It's just, you know, family life. I mean, it was just before computers, before cell phones. Like it right.
0: Was a nice time. And they're probably still doing it with the computers. And I mean, you know, I'm looking at, I'm looking at you and Andy and Ben and you're all raising children in the age of social media. And yet I feel like, uh, that's your reality and you're still building a strong family based on love, not the computer and, you know, uh, based on care and not the computer and that kind of thing. But anyway, um, Cynthia was well provided for with various survivor benefits, And when her husband, Tom, died, so she could focus on her children and keep her family strong. She refused to marry a divorced man due to her religious beliefs. So after meeting Randy at this Little League game, he told her nothing about his marriages, except that Janice had accidentally fallen to her death. So that August, the two lovebirds, at least that's what Cynthia thought, got married Randy Roth sold his house and purchased a big new home in Woodenville, where he moved with his new enlarged family. Over time, Cynthia realized that Randy was super controlling over every aspect of her life. He put her down. Depressed, she was very depressed. Her appearance and her housekeeping, which had always been very important to Cynthia, were given less and less attention. And she began to quietly express regret about her marriage to Ross Roth to a few close friends. She said that he was physically and mentally abusive to all three boys. Remember that, you know, Randy Roth has a son named Greg and Cynthia had Tyson and Riley. So just the three of them together... Just, you know, it's awful. It's awful. So on July 23rd, 1991, just a few weeks short of their first wedding anniversary, they've not even been married a year, Caroline. The couple took Cynthia's two sons on a day trip to Lake Sammamish, the same lake where Ted Bundy had abducted two young women years earlier now as on the day of the bundy abductions it was a scorching scorching hot day with temperatures around 90 degrees when the roths arrived and the beach was crowded I, i'm ted bundy i'm going to shut up about you now but there's okay. some similarities here anyway randy and cynthia left the boys to play in a designated swimming area while they paddled 11 and 11 foot Inflatable raft into deeper waters. Several hours later, now who's going to leave their little kids alone for seven hours? But several hours later, Randy Roth returned with an unresponsive Cynthia lying in the raft. All efforts to revive Cynthia were unsuccessful, and after being taken to the hospital, she was pronounced dead. Roth claimed that the wake from a speedboat had caused the raft to flip while Cynthia was swimming next to it and she had drowned as a result. I know. I I just have to stop here and catch my breath.
1: That's it. I hate every bit of this story. This man is the worst evil on the planet because... uh... Well, anyway, as the story unfolds, it just gets worse as if it could, but it does. I mean, you will be shocked at how callous, unfeeling, just cruel I find this individual. I just, he's the worst. And, and Cynthia, I'm so sad because she sounds like just this purest, most beautiful mother. And so she was uh, by all accounts. Just, yeah, I'm just upset about it. I get upset. And then there's all this collateral damage with the kids. You're traumatizing these kids like, like I've never even heard of before. And so I just get,
0: you know, it's upsetting. I don't like it. It is upsetting. The, uh, remember I told our listeners that we had recorded this. It was poor audio quality, but we had a deadline to meet and we met it. We, we, we put this episode out there. Uh, and, uh, um, are redoing it today for those reasons. Cause it's an important story and it's a way to honor the reality of what has happened here. And, um, but when we put that out there, I got a contact from a friend of mine from uh, Arlington, where we used to live. And she said, my mom knows this family and they went to her church and they are the real mail deal. Mm. These the Baumgartner family, Cynthia, her boys, the real thing. And uh, just people who are determined to live a life of service yeah. to others and to do no harm and right. um, all of that. And so it's just, it's it is a tragedy. And So I've caught my breath now, and so I'm going to go back to that day and say that Roth's apparent lack of emotion and contradicting versions of how events had unfolded caused investigators to consider him a suspect. Okay, yay. Finally. Yes, but, you know, there was no solid evidence that she had been forcibly drowned. So once again, Roth failed to inform family and friends of the death, but he went merrily about trying to collect on a large life insurance policy, near nearly $400,000, that he had taken out on his wife, just as he had done with Janice. Randy arranged for a cremation as soon as the body was released, despite strong ob- objections from the parents of Cynthia. We need to look at those rules more.
1: That's all I'm going to say.
0: Yeah. Almost three months after the drownings, Roth was feeling scot-free once again. But then on October 8th, police detectives showed up at Bill Pierre Ford in Seattle to arrest him on suspicion of murder. Okay, when I read this, I just got so excited. Finally, something's going to happen. They had a search warrant, and they went to his house to comb it over. And they found a whole lot of stuff, Caroline. And I'm going to tell you one of the saddest parts when we get to the trial. The jury selection began in February 1992, and the trial began the following month. The courtroom was packed packed with cynthia's family and friends and okay. these are all local people that are still around you know to remember her oh, yeah. and her family and what they went through roth appeared visibly thinner and meeker looking we'll get used to it bud he was detached and emotionless as always when he isn't charming a vulnerable woman it's hard to do that when you're in jail yeah He almost never looked directly at the jury, big mistake, or at his relatives or old friends who testified against him. His defense team presented him as a man being persecuted because of bad luck, that's all, having lost two wives in tragic accidents. God. I don't know.
1: I don't know about that. I mean, there's all
0: these other survivors, you know, Terry, Donna. Yes. Well, the prosecution portrayed him as emotionless, a greedy individual, a man who cared more about cars and money than his wife and children. Caroline, over 100 witnesses testified.
1: Whoa, that's a lot. That's a lot for a judge to allow. Like... A judge might be like, you could get it done in 50. So even the judge apparently did not mind hearing this overwhelming evidence. That's interesting.
0: And, you know, we don't know what that was whittled down from. <laughs> good point. It could have been a thousand. <laughs> oh, my God. You're a good point. <laughs> <laughs> a scuba instructor testified that he had personally trained Roth and that he was a very skilled swimmer. Explaining the wetsuit found in the search, and directly contradicting Roth's claim that he was simply too weak of a swimmer to have been any help to Cynthia. Wow! There was I a mean, just the sw- found. I mean,
1: what's going on?
0: Yeah, he. Yeah, they found a wetsuit. So, I mean, he's not just a swimmer. This is a guy who is a very good swimmer. It's total bull talky that he couldn't swim and save her life. Eyewitnesses from Lake Sammamish described Roth as slowly paddling the raft back to the beach. Oh, yeah. Not appearing panicked, not signaling for help, until he beached the raft. Despite the fact that lifeguards were out at water's edge warning him, do not bring that raft into this designated swimming area. Do not bring that raft in here. So they were out and could see how slowly he was doing. He completely ignored them and did it anyway. Well, and
1: I'm I'm with you. I'm with the people. Like, if someone is drowned and I manage, first of all, and I manage to get them back up in a raft, which I can't get my own live body back up in a raft when I'm out in the water. So I'm not sure how you can be too weak to swim, but you got a dead body back up in a raft. We'll just, I guess, discuss that later. But I mean, you're not screaming like you did on the mountain after Janice. My wife is drowned. Like she's drowning. She drowned. Like you're not. Being a psycho, getting anyone and everyone along the way to help. Yeah, push he forgot shore. about that. He, I uh, mean, he
0: forgot about that. I guess there was also testimony that, despite alleging Cynthia's death was entirely caused by the raft flipping over, Roth still had several bags of possessions on board when he returned to the beach, and he was still wearing his prescription sunglasses despite claiming to have been in the water himself at the moment, the raft flipped. I mean, so, you know, I don't know what has happened to erode his, uh, I mean, because he got away with murder at least once. He is just so blase about killing somebody that he's not even taking these things into account.
1: Yeah, for Sure. Because, yeah, those are obvious. The sunglasses are the first thing to go. The keys and the sunglasses, right? Do you
0: remember Jelena, the daughter of Janice Roth? And, you know, Janice was the one who fell from Beacon Rock. Yes. Was pushed or thrown. She hit the stand. And she described how her mother had shown her a hidden envelope with money in it only a few days before her fatal fall from Beacon Rock. She told her daughter that the money was for her and that she was to take it if anything happened to her. More than a week after the accident, Roth finally told Jelena that her mother was dead. So she went and retrieved this envelope from its hiding place, but Roth saw her with it and took it from her. Promising he would spend the money on toys and presents for the girl. And they never spoke again after that day. And of course, Roth never delivered on any of his promises. That's so sick and twisted. Because remember, the dad came back. The dad came back into her life. Thank God. Yeah, no kidding. I didn't
1: realize that he he let her languish as a small eight-year-old child for a week and never told her her mother had passed. Like that's What's the point there? I mean, you're
0: just... I don't know. He needs to get his insurance money and cash to check before anything else happens. So oh. possibly the most damning piece of evidence was, and I love this because it is a poem. A poem, Caroline, was found in his house after Cindy died. And the name of the poem was, Randy Doesn't Love Cindy. Mm-hmm. And... It had been found during that initial search. It's a long poem that Cynthia had written, and it just absolutely broke my heart. She wrote, here are 44 different things that Randy hates about Cindy. Randy hates Cindy's toes. Randy hates that she drinks coffee. Randy hates that Cindy helps volunteer in a lot of different places where, whenever she can. He hates Cindy's house. Randy hates Cindy's house. The swamp that Cindy made him move to. She, uh, Randy hates Cindy's things. Randy hates Cindy's independence. Oh, wow. Remember, she had her own money. That's right. She didn't need him. She didn't even need to get remarried. Randy hates Cindy. 44 different things, Caroline. That's so
1: sad. Because Cindy, I mean, I don't even know any details about her, but I can just feel how kind and warm and loving she would have been,
0: you know? Well, you know, poetry is hard to write because you have to write about whatever your subject is, and it has to be so real that the reader can identify with it, even if that is not a circumstance they've ever been in. Yeah. They can identify it touches their humanity in such a true way. Right. So when I read about this poem, and I read the poem, I'm telling you, it's hard to not cry. Well, yeah. Because this is a woman who is so sensitive, she could write a poem about her life Without saying my life is this way or describing or using an adverb or an adjective. She's just writing about this one tiny little sliver of her broken heart.
1: Yes. Oh, God.
0: 44 things Randy hates about Cindy. Well, I God. hate
1: Randy a hundred million I hate Randy, over. too.
0: I hope he lives to be 500 years old so because he <laughs> he's locked up. So, anyway... Uh the good ones told about his staged burglary and seduction of their daughter donna cliff came in this is greg's mother and she told the terrifying uh raft trip on the skagokomish Ra- i'm sorry i got that wrong i got that wrong so the good ones the good ones were the parents of the woman at the start of our story that got chills yeah. I think because Terry of, okay. okay, so they came in and talked about the burglary and the seduction of their daughter. Donna Cliff came in to talk about the horrifying, terrifying raft trip on the Skakomish River. She was the woman that he married after, uh, the accident, uh, you know, falling from Beacon Rock. He had to get another wife and she divorced him right after that raft trip. Mary Jo Phillips told how Roth had suddenly dumped her, even though they were engaged to be married, because he found out that she was uninsurable. So the, the, the uh, jury's getting an earful. These were just some of the hundred witnesses. Yeah. Tyson and Riley Baumgartner testified that their stepfather's abusive parenting and his theft of automobile parts from Bill Pierre, where he worked. Oh, along with their recollections of the day their mother died and Randy's unconcerned, unemotional behavior. Their mother is died in front of them. They're on the beach at uh, the park, and he slowly makes his way, uh, and there she is, dead in the back of his canoe or his raft they had to drive in his car back to their house and in the back seat he was telling them stop your crying shut up quit sniffling stop that
1: oh it just makes me sick what these kids have had to go through with this person i mean they're all, I, I i'm happy to hear that they are all obscurely living beautiful lives now but and and i hope that that's true because this it just breaks my heart. What happened to them was wrong on every step of the way. And I just feel oh, for the absolutely. loss that they had to suffer in addition to the abuse.
0: Roth took the stand, Carolina, in his own trial. Um, he testified for 20 hours. When prosecutors challenged him on the inconsistencies of his account, he would claim that others had misunderstood him and that he couldn't recall whatever incident was in question. He was forced to admit his various lies about having served in Vietnam, about being a martial arts instructor, about owning a cattle ranch, when in in actuality his father, Gordon, owned a couple of sheep and a cow. But anyway, however, he insisted that anyone claiming his story about the drowning was false or inconsistent, was misremembering what happened that day. And his demeanor on the stand was universally described as clinical and detached. I mean, we already knew he was missing some parts and that he had some bad stuff put in him instead of those good parts. Yeah. And I guess when I read clinical and detached, I think of an automaton. Yeah, You know, he's just uh, he's just not really there. He's there, but he's unaware of how to behave, although he was charming in the beginning. I don't know. Well, I wonder if the prosecution
1: had tried in any way to because obviously he has this in him to be cruel and cold. Right. So, I mean, it's like. But I mean, I guess like we've talked about before, it's a light switch and it comes once the insurance claim is like valid and he can (laughs) murder you, I guess. I don't. Yuck.
0: yeah, so after closing arguments, the jury deliberated more than eight and a half hours before returning a verdict. I bet the first seven were just crying, just crying, oh yeah, right. He was found guilty of one count of murder in the first degree, one count of theft in the first degree, one count of theft in the second degree. Now, that theft was the auto parts okay. that he had stolen from bill Pierre um. And I wonder if one of them might not be the money that he stole from the little girl, but I don't, I'm not sure. Oh yeah. Now I want to say something about Skamania County. Skamania County has their beliefs that he murdered his wife uh, and threw her off Beacon Hill or Beacon Rock, pardon me, but they don't have the money to prosecute him. And Randy Roth was sentenced to 50 years for the murder and one year for the theft charges And he was never charged in the death of Janice Roth because they, you know, Skamania just didn't have any evidence and they only had suspicions and they didn't have the money to prosecute. He'll be eligible for parole in 2029. Now, this scares the crap out of me because it's 2023. So that's six more years. No, I don't want... I mean, I don't no. want him to get released. I, it's just
1: uh, the the collateral damage here with these kids. I'm just a no. I'm a no on that.
0: Yeah, part. I'm a no, too. I'm a no, too. A 1994 appeal of the conviction was, you know, it failed. Laurie Baker. Remember I told you that Cynthia Roth had a very good friend. Cynthia Roth is the woman who is the mother of Greg. She divorced him and gave him custody of Greg. So something was going on with her. But one thing that we do know is that Laurie Baker is a very good friend. And uh, she was named guardian of Cynthia Roth's sons, filed a lawsuit to bar Roth and his family from benefiting financially from either insurance payments, or the sale of the couple's former home. Greg Roth went to live with Randy's father in Klickitat County, Washington. So I need to make a correction there. Laurie Baker was the friend and guardian of Cynthia Roth's sons. This is the two sons that he had that were there at the river. I mean, at the, at the Lake Sammamish, um, And Greg Roth was sent to live with Randy's father in Clickitac County in Washington. And by all accounts, you know, he's living a, a, you know, life of obscurity, as you said, but... Uh, he is doing well. He just doesn't like to go back in time and think about all this trauma. Nor should he have to. I mean, honestly, no. And there's a part of me that enjoys that
1: he's able to be with his grandfather. I, you know, I don't know oh, anything yeah. about any of the stories and no, what Randy's but the fact relationship. That Randy
0: brought him up is a, you know, brand. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Randy Roth uh, represents his father. Right. Right.
1: That's yes, exactly. Like, I mean. It... Yeah, you just want to, you just hope that these kids who have been put through more trauma than they needed, that anyone needs to be, like, that they've
0: all found a peaceful life, yeah. So Randy Roth is prisoner number, write this down if you want to be his pen pal, 245201 at the Stafford Creek Correction Center that's in Aberdeen and you and I have passed by there so many times on our way to the Washington coast. Yeah, I mean, you know, separately uh, with our families, we've gone there and uh, I just never thought that there was somebody that horrible there. Yeah. But I'm going to turn the tables now and I'm done talking about Randy. I want to always remember Janice and Cynthia. These people were so good they and they all they wanted was love and family. They could not imagine someone like him.
1: Right. Yeah. They
0: could <laughs> not imagine that he could be as sweet as he was and as charming as he was and also be dark and hollow and evil. Mm-hmm. And like I like a light switch,
1: too. It sounds like that. They were so
0: blindsided
1: that they didn't even know what to do with this. I've what's going on now that I'm
0: married, you know? Right. I, I'm going to always think about Greg and Tyson and Tyler. I think of them growing up with this father and then without him. And it's just gut wrenching to think about. I, I want to say, if Randy Roth listens to this podcast, I hope you rot. And I hope I never think of you again. So Caroline, how are we going to get this out of our mind today and go enjoy the day that we have with our family? What are we going to do?
1: Well, I think that that's exactly what one can do is to go spend time with your family, whatever that looks like for mm-hmm. you, just the people who you
0: love and appreciate in your life or the people who depend or dogs. on you. You know, in my case, I live with dogs. Yeah.
1: yeah, but just just spend time with them because that's, I think for me, what struck me the most in this, in a painful way, was how much damage to so many like sweet, innocent, young, loving people in these families, particularly the kids,
0: but also these women.
1: You know it, that's it's just not right, you know. So no. Randy's awful, no. and
0: it's not right, and it's it's why I I almost think everyone who kills a member of their family is a family annihilator because the family implodes, explodes, fragments lost in oblivion for yeah. so long, and it's only in the seeking of justice that one can um even hope to move forward. And some never do. Yeah. But this, this is the end of our sad story today, because this was a sad story of beautiful people dying for love. Yes. Caroline, today's episode is researched, written, and narrated by Bridget and Caroline and produced by Andy. We love you, Andy. Our research is solely based on public domain documents, including legal documents, articles, and books about our subject. Episodes are aired every other week. If you like us, please subscribe and give us a five star review. It really helps. Tell your friends about us in person and by social media. All of these actions help new listeners find us, and we really thank you for listening. We so appreciate you. As you know, without you, there would be no podcast. And one other thing before I say goodbye to my daughter, don't forget, listeners, to live and let live. So bye-bye, Caroline. Bye.